There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Good evening, everybody. We do begin the readout tonight with the vote that is now before the House Select Committee. So let me just start by explaining what's about to happen tonight. In about 30 minutes from now, the nine members of the committee on January 6th will convene a meeting to refer Steve Bannon for criminal charges. The longtime Trump whisperer has so far defied the committee's subpoena, refusing to even show up for his scheduled deposition last Thursday. Now he faces the consequences. And let's just make it plain. The committee's investigation not only represents the last best chance to hold people accountable for the attempted overthrow of an American election, but also to preserve American democracy, period. Every day, it seems like more new video emerges from January 6th, including this close-up view from The New York Times showing the mayhem at the front lines of the Capitol. And given how just insane what we witnessed that day was and all that we have learned in the months since, the simple fact is it, it actually just has to be illegal to try to overthrow the government, full stop. But if it isn't illegal, if what we saw on January 6th did not include major crimes against the United States, then there really is no United States. There is no democracy. Donald Trump tried to overturn a free and fair election. He did it overtly and he did it covertly. He tried to undercut the election on the front end, tried to get Ukraine to announce a fake investigation of the Bidens and then lied about mail-in voting and on and on and on. And then he tried to undo it on the back end. First, he tried to nullify the electoral votes from the multiple states. And then when that didn't work out, he summoned a violent mob that laid siege to our Capitol to try to intimidate Congress into not certifying Biden's, Biden's win. And we know that happened because we watched that happen. And now this country must ensure that it will never happen again, which is why any witness who defies or obstructs this committee's investigation has got to be prosecuted, which is why the committee will vote tonight on a 26-page report that outlines the case for contempt against Bannon and spotlights the multifaceted role that he appears to have played in the events of January 6th. The report highlights that Bannon reportedly spoke to Donald Trump on one or more occasions regarding what could or should happen on January 6th. And it mentions a series of war room meetings at the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C., where Bannon had reportedly gathered with Trump lawyers Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman. Remember him, the author of that now infamous memo outlining how to steal the election, as well as veteran dirty trickster Roger Stone and Trump campaign officials. At that meeting, the participants reportedly discussed plans to stop or delay the January 6th counting of the election results and persuade members of Congress to block the electoral count. Persuade members of Congress to block the electoral count. Most alarming of all is that Bannon's statements on January 5th suggest that he had some foreknowledge about extreme events that would occur the next day. And that includes his ominous but accurate prediction that all hell is going to break loose. All hell is going to break loose tomorrow. Just understand this. All hell is going to break loose tomorrow. It's going to be moving. It's going to be quick.
Of course, all hell did break loose that day. We saw it. And now Bannon is evading his responsibility, hiding behind a ridiculous claim that the guy who isn't president anymore controls executive privilege, not the guy who is president right now and who has already said no. In a letter to Bannon's lawyer yesterday, the deputy White House counsel said one more time for everybody in the back. We are not aware of any basis for your client's refusal to appear for a deposition. Yesterday. Bannon also tried to delay tonight's contempt proceedings by a week, citing the lawsuit that Trump filed against the committee in the National Archives. Now, needless to say, that request was not granted. Despite Bannon's protest, the committee will be moving forward within the hour. And after tonight's vote, the measure then goes to the full House. If and when it gets passed there, it then gets transmitted to the Justice Department, which will then decide whether to bring charges or whether to let Bannon and basically Trump get away with it. Again, joining me now, Kurt Bardella, advisor to the DCCC, Maya Wiley, MSNBC legal analyst and former New York City mayoral candidate, and Glenn Kirshner, former federal prosecutor, with who, which, uh, which, and I'm going to start with Glenn. <laughs> Losing my control of the language right now. Glenn, I, you know, if I sound a little exasperated, it's because there is still an open question as to whether it is strictly illegal to try to overturn an American election. Do you agree with me that what happens tonight in this vote and what the DOJ does about it, if and when it passes, it answers that question? And that question is the fundamental question about our democracy right now. And, Joy, we all know the answer to that question. So it is put up or shut up time. And it looks like Congress is ready to put up and then it will shift over to the Department of Justice. I predict they will also be ready to put up. What will put up look like? It will look like under the federal law, a referral of this contempt vote, which is a foregone conclusion, we all believe, to the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia. The law says that he then shall present this matter to the grand jury for its action because Donald Trump hasn't even tried to invoke executive privilege with respect to conversations with Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon has no factual defense. Steve Bannon has no legal defense. And the grand jury should indict Steve Bannon for criminal contempt of Congress. And Maya, I mean, Steve Bannon wasn't, has, hasn't been working in the White House since 2017. Like, he was long gone. By the time he was having these conversations, he was already out. Trump had gotten mad at him because he cooperated in some books and given some quotes. He was, like, not involved at all in the Trump administration by the time January 6, 2021 happened. So there isn't any—he's not even close— to where he could get an executive privilege claim. The fact that he's doing it says to me that he is imparting upon himself the kind of impunity Trump has been used to his entire life and saying, well, I will just maybe wait it out. Maybe I'll just go ahead and violate this law. Maybe I will go to jail and I'll just take it because he's operating under the same crazy Fox News world assumption that he can just wait it out, thug it out, go to jail, and Donald Trump will magically come back into power or come back into power because they steal the election. And pardon him. If he's thinking that, would he be crazy to think that? You know, well, the short answer is all of this is a stalling tactic. I mean, as you said, as Glenn said, there is no executive privilege here and there's no defense for Steve Bannon. Uh, but the point is they're trying to run out the clock and this will go through a judicial process and the wheels of justice can turn too slowly when we have the kind of election cycle we're looking at right now. And that is exactly what they're banking on. They're not banking on, you know, legal arguments that hold any water. 
frankly, they're just banking on the thuggery that they were banking on on January 6th. And the really important thing to note here is even though there's going to be a process and we are all going to be frustrated by the length of it, it is critically important that the committee take this vote. It is critically important that they say, no, you won't. Because frankly, the reason that we're in this situation right now is because Donald Trump's administration broke the constitutional balance of power in his term as president. And just remember, it was Ronald Reagan under Iran-Contra scrutiny from Congress that said, I won't even try to raise executive privilege because it's too important to the country. Ronald Reagan. So this really shouldn't be about partisan politics. It should be about the institutions of democracy. And that's why this vote is still going to matter tonight. I mean, Susan McDougall spent time in prison for contempt of Congress in, a, in the Whitewater case, which was a nothing case. They were impeached Clinton over. Um, Kurt, you know, what they're counting on, it seems to me, is they are trying to thug it out because they think that, you know, the under thug, you know, Kevin McCarthy, who is a complete weakling and has no, no you know, spinal defense against Donald Trump, will be speaker and that he can wipe it all away. That's what they're thinking, right? Bannon and the rest of them. They're like, we'll just thug it out because our guys will be in charge soon. That's exactly right, Joy. And I think it's important to talk about some of these other Republican members of Congress who have enabled this to happen in the first place. People like Kevin McCarthy, people like the National Republican Congressional Committee Chairman Tom Emmer, people like Congressman Scott Perry from Pennsylvania, someone who there is an entire chapter about Scott Perry and the Senate Judiciary Committee report about January 6th, the planning into it. You got Republican donors who funded this thing, who also fund Republican members of Congress. I mean, there is so much here that needs to be investigated because the reality is, and this is a scary thing, the enemy truly is within. The enemy is in the House of Representatives right now. There are people who helped plan this, coordinate this. We still have the open question about what members of Congress helped give recon to people who participated in January 6th. All of these things we need answers for. And this whole process, I think, tells us that there are really two things that Congress still needs to do. Number one, they need to act on new enforcement authority. They need to give themselves the tools to enforce their oversight in real time. They need, to, they need to pass something that gives them fast track authority with the courts. And number two, there's something called inherent contempt where they could throw Steve Bannon in jail right now and force him to sit there until he provides the documents, the emails, and the testimony. He might get criminal contempt and he might end up being prosecuted, but that still doesn't mean we're gonna get any information from him at the end of the day. I want a process that ensures that we get the information because we need to know what went into January 6th if we're gonna have any chance of avoiding another one. Indeed, absolutely, he might man afford it out. Um, you mentioned um, Scott, Representative Scott Perry, Glenn. This is, let's just put up why Bannon is important, why they wanna to talk to him. The subpoena covers any communications that he might have had with not just Trump, Giuliani and Eastman that we mentioned before, but Michael Flynn, who we know was the disgraced former um, military man who now is a Trump lackey. Sidney Powell, Cash Patel, who we know was also subpoenaed. Representative Scott Sperry, Jenna Ellis, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters. He was talking to principals. And one more thing, Glenn, to, for you. We know that Senate Republicans, to the point that we just heard Kurt making, they're already blocking Biden being able to put a permanent person in place to prosecute these January 6th thugs, the ones who are actually at the Capitol. They're blocking it. No one knows what the objection is. This guy named Matt Graves. They're just blocking it. They're already throwing sand in the wheels. And there are people that need to be talked to, including Congress members. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, I worked with Matt Graves at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. He's a very good, strong, honest, ethical uh, prosecutor, and he should be confirmed as U.S. attorney. In the interim, we have Channing Phillips, who I worked with, with for decades. He is also a very good, strong prosecutor. So either way, let the Republicans do their worst. The D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office will be in good hands. But, Joy, all of those names you just ran through, people that Steve Bannon can provide incriminating information about, is what makes Steve Bannon a big ticket witness. And if there's any good news with this criminal contempt referral and likely indictment of Steve Bannon, once the grand jury is investigating Steve Bannon's criminal contempt, you know what else they have to investigate that goes along with every criminal investigation in the grand jury? His motive. Why might he be willing to suffer a contempt charge rather than testify before Congress? Simple. He doesn't want to incriminate Donald Trump. Why? In part, Donald Trump was the one who saved him by giving him a pardon after he stole money with his bogus We Build the Wall Foundation. Donald Trump pardoned him. Talk about powerful motive to cover Mm -hmm. up Donald Trump's crime. And let me finish with this, Joy. You know what that makes Donald Trump in the upcoming grand jury investigation of Steve Bannon's criminal contempt? It makes him a subject of the grand jury's investigation. That's a term of art meaning you are someone, you're not the target, Steve Bannon's the target, but you are someone who may have criminal exposure in connection with the investigating we are conducting. So hold on tight for this grand jury investigation. What, what, what worries me about that, though, Maya, is that, you know, this sounds like with the Michael Cohen case. Everyone knows who the person is for whom Michael Cohen was writing those checks to Stormy Daniels. It was Donald Trump. He's subject number one or wherever he's listed. And he still walks away. And I think that's what's, what worries people is that this man has lived with 73 or however old years he is of impunity. And people wonder when that's going to end. Well, there was one key difference, which is Donald Trump was president. He is no longer president right now. So I think to Glenn's point, it does make a difference if he starts to get implicated in something that is an existing grand jury as just a regular old person walking up and down the street. Now. I think the other critical point here is he is absolutely going to get scrutiny if if this committee continues to be aggressive, because, frankly, there's no reason they cannot subpoena him. And remember that executive privilege is the weakest privilege there is, (laughs) meaning it is now we don't know what this Supreme Court would do, but I would love to see the litigation party that would happen around subpoenaing Donald Trump. Um, So, look, I think what is critical here is the Democrats have to go hard and they have to do it in the interest of protecting the institution. Well, let's read what the White House had to say about this whole idea about this suing the January 6th committee and all this idea of whether he can hide his information. The former president's actions, the White House says, represent a unique and existential threat to our democracy and cannot be swept under the rug. As President Biden determined, the constitutional protections of executive privilege should not be used to shield information that reflects a clear and apparent effort to subvert the Constitution itself. There's even the Justice Department, which is a, a uh, an uncharacteristically tough statement out of them. Uh, the Justice Department warned in a court filing yesterday that the risk of future violence is fueled by a segment of the population that seemed intent on lionizing the January 6th rioters and treating them as political prisoners, heroes or martyrs instead of what they are, criminals, many of whom committed extremely serious crimes of violence and all of whom attacked 
the democratic values, which all of us should share. And Kurt, you know one of the people who's been lionizing those people, who encouraged them, who has this sort of strange sort of Eurofascist belief in the way America should be run and, 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 uh, and, and try to make Trump his vehicle, and that is Steve Bannon. In your view, is he the type of person that would be willing to go to jail to keep the secrets of what he and Donald Trump and others plotted on January 6th? You know, I think that Steve Bannon, much like Donald Trump, is all about bravado, is all about big talk. But it's a very different thing when you're facing actual consequences. And to this point, Bannon's been able to get away with it because of the Trump pardon. And he hasn't had to face those consequences. But the one thing that we've seen about both of these men you can't trust them as far as you can throw them. They are just as likely to turn on each other in a moment's notice because they have no honor. They have no moral code. They are only in it for themselves. As long as their relationship is perceived to be mutually beneficial, sure, they're on the same same side. But I remember it wasn't too long ago when Trump was teeing off on Twitter calling him Sloppy Steve. And, you know, and, and Steve was excommunicated and had to spend years traveling around the globe trying to reinvent himself. So it's like you just never know with these type of characters what's going to happen. But I do think that one of the things that's important as this process plays out, this is such a liability for vulnerable Republican members of Congress. Republicans have high hopes of taking back Congress in 2022. But every time they take a vote, and they'll be taking a housewide vote probably on Thursday for contempt, when they let someone like Steve Bannon off and the facts start coming out and the grand jury starts coming together and we learn the full totality of what happened, that vote is going to hang around the necks of people like Andy Biggs or Andy Harris or Scott Perry or Brian Fitzpatrick. I would not want to be the Republicans having to take the vote to exonerate Steve Bannon this week after contempt mm. goes to the House floor. Hmm. Well, we, we're going to keep uh, y'all around. Kurt, Kurt Bardella, Maya Wiley, Glenn Kirshner, we're going to keep you guys around because there's a lot to come later on. I have many more questions for you. And as we await the start of tonight's meeting of the January 6th Select Committee, which will vote on whether to recommend criminal contempt charges against Steve Bannon, who, as we just mentioned, is defying the committee's subpoena, we'll bring that to you live. And up next, Congressman Eric Swalwell. He joins me on why the Democrats cannot, cannot allow the people who encouraged, planned, and carried out the January 6th insurrection to get away with it. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Welcome back. Okay, we are just moments away from the start of a meeting of the January 6th committee, which will vote on whether to advance an effort to hold Steve Bannon in contempt of Congress. This is the first deadline. The second larger and more consequential deadline is November 2022. And that is when we will know if Republicans will take control of the House, which would effectively put a stop to any meaningful accountability of the twice impeached president and his administration's role in the January 6th insurrection. It should not surprise you. 
that a Republican-led House would do everything in its power to obstruct justice, given their unwavering adoration of the former president, and the fact that some of them would likely be more than embarrassed by the investigation. It should also come as no surprise that Trump is looking to throw sand and rocks and lawsuits and every other obstruction in the way of the investigation, given that he has lived his entire life with impunity, openly flaunting the laws if the rules just don't apply to him. And let's just be honest, at this point, it's a strategy that's proven rather effective for the Florida retiree. In an opinion piece in The Washington Post, Philip Bump argues that there is no reason to believe that Trump or any of his minions are working in good faith with the committee. Instead, they are playing the longer game, which has been fruitful because, as Bump notes, in the battle between American institutions and Trump, the former has repeatedly proved to be mostly impotent. With me now, Congressman Eric Swalwell of California. He was an impeachment manager earlier this year. And, and I, I make this point with you having been an impeachment manager, Congressman. Impeachment couldn't stop him. A second impeachment couldn't stop him. The emoluments clause didn't even, he didn't even phase him. That didn't even phase him. He literally leased a hotel from the General Accounting Office from the United States government while he was president, violated multiple laws while he was president, and walked away and went and played golf. So uh, I think that's what frustrates people, is that they, they don't see our institution. He hmm? had a convention. He had a national convention on the White House lawn to just add to your list. And he, and he has a body count of more than a half a million Americans. Right now in Brazil, Bolsonaro is facing charges of essentially mass homicide for doing exactly what Trump did here. So I wonder, I think people at this point don't think our institutions are capable of rating someone like him in. What do you think? Uh, right now, it's frustrating, Joy, but the best constraint on Donald Trump is the law. And the law moves not nearly at the pace of Trump's corruption. That's what's so frustrating. So I've got a lawsuit against Donald Trump. Many Capitol police officers have lawsuits against Donald Trump. We're moving toward a big ruling in the next couple of weeks uh, on that lawsuit, and we hope that he will face a deposition and discovery request just as he faced earlier this week. And so I, I think you're going to see pretty soon uh, this, you know, build up to, uh, you know, Donald Trump finally being held to account uh, by the law. But tonight, the January 6th commission is going to say Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, Everyone who was a part of the insurrection on January 6th, you're not above the law. And if your viewers, Joy, would refuse to comply with a subpoena in their own local court, they would be brought in by a judge in a jumpsuit and asked why they think they're above the law. And we're saying that Steve Bannon and anyone else should be treated the same way. And you were a prosecutor, Congressman. I mean, there is a thing called inherent contempt. Congress could actually just use the jail under the Capitol. Do you think that it's a mistake to go through this process and rely on the Department of Justice? And look, Merrick Garland may be a fine man and a good man, but he isn't exactly an aggressive man when it comes to holding Donald Trump or any of the people involved in what amount to threats of violence against our citizenry, against members of Congress and against our democracy. He hasn't exactly been aggressive. Should Congress just take it upon themselves and throw Steve Bannon in that jail under the Capitol? <laughs> we should pass Ted Lieu's legislation that would put in place inherent contempt, uh, Joy. So I'm a supporter of that piece of legislation. I'm an original sponsor of it. Uh, that is one way to do this. Right now, without the Senate, you know, uh, on board to also assist us, you know, in, in giving us that leverage, we should encourage Merrick Garland to treat Donald Trump no better but no worse than any other uh, person who would be evaluated by the Department of Justice. He's going to testify on Thursday to the Judiciary Committee. And that's one of the questions we're going to have is, you know, will you agree that he should be treated no better, no worse 
and not just sweep this under the rug because for the sake of moving on, we'd be better off. We're not better off uh, if we don't recognize that he took a wrecking ball to every institution we value in this country. And if he broke the law, he has to be held to account. What happens if Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker? God forbid. What happens to this investigation or any investigation? Because, by the way, Kevin McCarthy might be a witness, according to Liz Cheney. He might be implicated. He might actually be somebody who has to testify. What happens? Will he be allowed to thwart this investigation from the, with, with, the, with the speaker's gavel in his hand? What happens if Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker and the January 6th issues are not resolved? Well, yeah. uh, first and foremost... Congressional gold medals will be given to the cop killers of January 6th. I promise you that. Second, he will erase the history of the cop heroes like Michael Fanone, who he refused to meet with for so long, like Harry Dunn, Sergeant Cannell, Danny Hodges. Their heroism will be erased under Kevin McCarthy. And a probe into how do we prevent this from happening again will go away. And he will set the stage for January 6th, 2025, being the bloodiest day ever at the Capitol, because I promise you, they are setting in place a posture in this country where they will not accept majority rule. And this will be, again, setting the stage uh, for a day even worse than January 6th. That's what is at stake right now. The New Yorker wrote a piece, and it, it talked about why impeachment doesn't work in our in our in our system. And they write that Trump's matching set of trials will, a stat, will establish another point. This is before they were all over. The overall weakness of impeachment as a device in the presidency. If any weapon is truly potent, you probably don't have to use it twice. You've talked about Donald Trump inciting future violence. You just talked about the fact that Kevin McCarthy would do it as well. And I wonder if you think it's time for Congress to start looking at its own inherent powers in a broader way. And start to seize back some power, because it does feel like the presidency itself has reached a point that if you have a a bad actor in it, if you have somebody who wants to be an autocrat, there really aren't that many ways to stop them. Are you concerned that Congress has let go too much power constitutionally? Yes. Yes, Joy. Uh, Absolutely. Because the only thing that has changed is that Donald Trump is not president. Nothing about the constraints when we could put on an, an abusive executive has changed. And we were always spared by Donald Trump's incompetency, but we were always scared by his corrupt instincts. There will be a future corrupt but competent leader who comes along. And if we're not ready, if we don't learn from what Donald Trump did and put in more constraints, it'll be at our own country's peril. Adam Schiff has the best legislation on this, Joy. It's the Protecting Our Democracy Act. It really seeks to repair all the damage Donald Trump did. uh, And we should pass that yesterday. Now, you should maybe ask some of the coal barons and oil companies if Joe Manchin, if they'll let Joe Manchin vote on that. And Susan Cinema, maybe ask the drug companies. Sorry, editorial comment on my part. Um, we, we have from Washington Post, Tommy Tuberville and other senators gathered together in a bunker on January 6th, the same day all of you guys were in threat of your lives, and wondered if they should revisit their votes. Tuberville said no. Here's what he told the Post. I wasn't voting for me. I was voting for the people of Alabama. Uh, President Trump has an 80 percent approval rating there. I told him there, I'm going to vote how you want me to vote. That essentially because people in Alabama like Donald Trump, he was willing to subvert the election. When you have a party that feckless and two members of your own party who just don't seem to give a damn, how do we save the republic? Uh, We need more people like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Uh, They had Republicans in their district overwhelmingly telling them not to accept the outcome of the election. And they followed their conscience. They followed the Constitution. They cared about the country. And Senator Tuberville on the first day failed the most basic test, which is, are you taking votes because it's just, you know, which way the wind blows? Or are you taking votes because your conscience, your country, and the Constitution uh, dictate it? He 
failed a leadership test that day. He's failed it every day since. And until we see more integrity among the Republican Party, their party is lost. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people are giving you a high five on that one and an amen. Congressman uh, Eric Swalwell, thank you so much. Really appreciate you spending some My time pleasure. with us this evening. Thanks. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. All right, back with me. Thank you. I want to bring back in Kurt Bardella, a DCCC advisor, MSNBC legal analyst Maya Wiley, and former federal prosecutor Glenn Kirshner. If you look on the right side of your screen, you can see this meeting starting to get ready to take place. Um, and Kurt, you've been, you have, this is a familiar uh, location for you because you were staff for a while um, uh, in the Congress. So we're watching this meeting start to take place. Give us a sense in your mind, how important is this day as we kind of reflect on where we are since January 1st? How, how important it is it that we publicly see this happening and see Congress trying to hold at least one of these January 6th actors to account? You know, I think that this is going to be an important chapter in the story of the defense of our democracy and the effort to restore actual checks and balances to our country's process, checks and balances that were just completely wrecked by four years of Donald Trump. And I'm going to be really interested to hear what the members say, both you know, people like Jamie Raskin, people like Benny Thompson, people like Liz Cheney, what their remarks are going to be as they prepare to take this very important and really historic vote. And I think, again, you know, I spent the better part of today thinking about one of the times that Republicans held a member of the Obama administration in contempt. And it was Jim Jordan who said, the only path to the truth is through the House of Representatives. And as I watched these proceedings unfold, and I watch people like Jim Jordan sit these proceedings out, people who were so eager to be a part of Benghazi, that select committee, the Republicans have forfeited their right to be there, taking the lead of Kevin McCarthy. But what happened to the ones that were pushing for aggressive oversight, for accountability, who said the American people have a right to know what happens in their government, how power is utilized and weaponized and used as an instrument by bad actors? Where did they all go? So many of them are still walking the halls of Congress right now, Joy, and yet they can't be bothered to be you know, seen or heard to talk about the things that they were so happy to talk about when Barack Obama was president. Yeah, I mean, well, Benghazi was a, involved Democrats and it was, you know, five people tragically died. It was horrific. But if you look at this, you know, as many people died as a result of what happened January 6th, and Republicans don't seem to, to mind at all. Um, and, the, and many of them were law enforcement. They don't seem to mind at all. Maya Wiley, you ran for office uh, in, in the city of New York. And so you understand that, you know, when when one runs for office, the presumption is win or lose, you accept the results. 
you accept that this is part of democracy, you then don't try to turn over the tables and burn the place down because you didn't win. That's not the way it works. You support the incoming government. Talk a little bit about the fact that we do have a political party that's decided that that's not good enough anymore, that they either win or they burn it down or they sit back and they watch their their people burn it down and, you know, defecate in the Capitol and urinate in the Capitol and urinate on our democracy simply because they couldn't win an election. Your thoughts? You know, this is the genie that the Republican Party let out of the bottle when they decided to embrace Donald Trump. Well, if you remember during the election, uh, the first election, 2015, were backsliding, you know, moonwalking and distancing themselves from because they thought anybody who was doing the kinds of things that he was doing on the campaign trail from inciting violence, having the tape come out about him grabbing and sexually assaulting women could not win and would be bad for them politically. When that turned out not to be true, then they made their deal with the devil. You know, and what they basically said was, all right, we're all in now. We've seen that. And that means right now what has happened is they've enabled their own power, the power of the institution they got elected to lead in. They have allowed it to be undermined. But I think the problem here is what they're really saying is, you know, we will use the power that we have in Congress if we are the majority for our own ends and our own power, not for the And I think that is the most devastating statement anyone can make about a democracy, because when you seek public office, what you're actually doing is asking to borrow the power of the people to use it for their benefit. And so you break not just your oath of office, but you actually break the sacred trust. And democracy can't survive that way. So it's critically important that we do have two Republicans on this committee. We're going to stand up for the institution and stand up for the people rather than stand up for the personal interests of Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, Glenn, you know, the the idea that the law only applies to those uh, on the other side of you, but it doesn't apply to you. That is sort of core fascism, you know, and we do have a, a situation where no one can be confident that if Republicans take back control of the government, that they will pursue and continue to pursue and continue to encourage the pursuit of an investigation into an attack on them, an attack on their persons, on their staff, on the 20-somethings who work for Kevin McCarthy, who work for them, who work for you know Mitt Romney and, and Mitch McConnell. Their own staffs were also at risk of dying, were terrified, and they don't care. None of them do. And, and I wonder what that does say about whether the rule of law exists if only one political party believes in it. No, there's no respect for the rule of law if it is deployed selectively, right? So if you stop uh, investigating and prosecuting bank robbers, what are you what are you going to see? A whole lot more bank robberies. And, and, you know, Kurt and Maya are the political experts. I'm not. But the conversation that you and Maya were just having, you know, what happens if the crimes against our democracy by Donald Trump, Steve Bannon and others go unaddressed, unprosecuted? You know what will become extinct? What will become extinct are Republican concession speeches because they will never again admit that they lost. They will somehow wrestle, you know, away from the majority of the voters, the the election, and they will declare themselves the winners. 
Get the latest updates on this year's high-stakes election with MSNBC's How to Win 2024 newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get expert analysis on key races sent straight to your inbox, including articles written by the host of the How to Win podcast, Jennifer Palmieri. Subscribe today at msnbc.com slash win.